This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back. Last time I sat down with Sadie Robertson Huff, a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, influencer, and host of a great podcast, Whoa, That's Good. And I would say that was a great conversation. I loved hearing from people that had a chance to listen and were very inspired and charmed by her, as I was. This week, I'm joined by a talented artist who, while writing chart-topping hits, also uses his songs to express some opinions and frustrations. Start thinking about what is meaningful to you and how you will measure your satisfaction and success. What does that look and feel like when you picture it in your mind? John Andrasik is a singer-songwriter and producer selling more than 2.5 million albums including the platinum-selling America Town and the Battle for Everything. Under the band name Five for Fighting, his Grammy-nominated song Superman, It's Not Easy, a worldwide hit single, and it became an anthem for the heroes of 9-11, and John performed the song at the concert for New York City. And I hear this song a lot on Peloton, believe it or not. In addition to making music, John is making a difference. He performs for the USO and has keynote speaking engagements across the globe. John, thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Dana. Thanks for having me. Could we start at the beginning, if you don't mind? Tell everybody about your upbringing and you know, where you were born and how you were raised. Born in the San Fernando Valley, Valley boy, um, to middle-class family. My dad was actually, at the time, an astrophysicist, worked for JPL, the uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, in the 70s, kind of the glory days of space flight and and uh, so that was quite cool, seeing him bring home the pictures of the moons of Saturn and all the unmanned space flights uh, as a child. And my mom was a piano teacher. She was a USC piano major. So she was the music gene. He was the uh, engineer gene. And I had a very lovely childhood. My mom taught me piano till I was 13. And she was very wise when I wanted to quit and ride my skateboard and play basketball. She let me quit. Mm. And uh, but uh, but by then I had the fundamentals and it was up to me. And I loved writing songs. And on my on my piano bench was Godspell from uh, Stephen Schwartz and the Beatle songbook, which was like a phone book. There were so many songs and, you know, Burt Bacharach. And so I, I started playing and writing and and uh, just had a, a very, a very great childhood. I was blessed to have wonderful parents. Right. And it, um, that unconditional love uh, allowed you to take a risk. It did. Well, you know, I think we all understood that uh, when I kind of had this passion to do it, that 
that the uh, the odds were long. It's unlike sports. You know, the arts are are fickle. You know, uh, there's there's no guarantee. And so we kind of had a deal. I, I kind of said, all right, let me let me go to college. Let me get the degree. So when this whole thing falls apart, I can get a job. So <laughs> they, uh, I worked at the family business so I could go on auditions. I got a math degree at UCLA. But through my whole kind of teen years and through college, you know, I had my tape machine in my dorm and I was writing and I was recording. But mm-hmm. again, they were very supportive. I think my mom had a better sense of how unlikely it was. I think she's still waiting for the whole house of cards to collapse. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, my mom, um, when I worked at the White House and it was uh, 2004, John Kerry was running against George W. Bush. And at one point during that election, it was looked like 43 could lose. It's like in the fall, in the summer, excuse me, going into the the fall. And my mom called me and she said, what happens if President Bush loses? And I said, (laughs) oh, I said, well, um, we all just go and find other jobs. So a couple of weeks later, she called me and she said, you know, I've been thinking. And since you're so good at your job, maybe John Kerry would want to keep you. (laughs) And I said, mom, it like really doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. But, you know, moms are always concerned and we love them for that. Indeed. Okay, so I know that you could play piano. When did you knew? Did you always know that you could sing as well? You know, I always sang, you know, my mom, because uh, in California, they cut the arts funding. So she started putting on musicals just kind of by herself at the local elementary school. And so I was Tony in West Side Story. I, I hope I earned that part. Not that it was just nepotism. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, uh, I was singing all the way uh, through, my, through my teens. And, you know, when I'd go to the, the, the parties and in high school, the only ways I could get any girls to talk to me was to play Open Arms by Journey, um, you know, or, or Ebony and Ivory or something. And so I was always singing. And in my, uh, in my late teens, I, I was a big fan of the great, rock singers, you know, of course, Freddie Mercury. And I love Steve Perry from Journey. So I found his voice teacher and uh, we trained together for almost 10 years. I actually trained classically. I found out all these rock guys jumping up and down are Mm. are singing opera. So I trained Hmm. classically. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are classically trained. That's kind of how you do it. Certainly Freddie Mercury and those some of these great, uh, you know, it was funny. I'd walk in and there would be Axl Rose would be there and and, you know, guys like that training, uh, you know, because the voice is the voice. And and so that was really uh, crucial for me to to really learn how to sing properly. But I had my sound. I had that kind of falsetto sound my whole my whole life. And uh, I've always said that the key to being a great singer is not being able to hit the highest note, but to have a sound that everybody recognizes within a few seconds. And uh, and luckily, I think I have one of those voices. I think that you do. And I love listening to you. I wanted to ask you about um, where you were on 9-11. I thought it was very interesting that that was right before the release of one of your biggest hits, Superman. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Superman had kind of been out for a little while and it was it was it was a hit in like Asia. (laughs) But America didn't want to play it because at the time it was boy bands, Lilith Fair, grunge music. And the male singer songwriter wasn't on the radio, but it started to get traction before 9-11. It was on its way to becoming a popular song. And I was actually sent over to Europe because they saw that the song was becoming a hit. So they wanted me to kind of do some initial promotion Ah, and get it set up for for Europe. And I was actually in London on 9-11. And uh, 
like everyone else, I saw the plane first plane hit and was just, you know, kind of in shock. And then when the second plane hit, probably like, you know, probably like you, Dana, I was calling everybody I knew in New York to see if they were okay. And, and I was over there for a week. Remember the planes were not in the skies. And I, I'll, I'll never forget when I got on the plane to come home, the pilot was so gracious. He said, I know everybody's nervous. I know you're scared. I'm going to get you home. And I landed at O'Hare and I walked off and I kissed the tarmac Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was so happy to be home. Mm. And were you always a very patriotic person? You know, I think so. Um, I have no military in my family, but during the first Iraq war, I started getting emails from soldiers in theater and it really made me aware of how music matters for their mental wellness. And they would use it in so many different ways uh, to, to pump themselves up before a mission, to re- relax after a mission, to escape, to think of home. And I, uh, I actually got, it was interesting. I also got my first sense of how what we're hearing on the news may not be exactly what's happening in, in reality. And they would tell me what's going on in Fallujah. So I developed these relationships with our troops and that led to USO shows and starting to work with Gary Sinise and, and doing a lot of stuff for our troops. And I, uh, the, the true blessing of my career and the honor has been to uh, play for them, talk to them, befriend them. And uh, I think without that experience, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today about the, the new song. Right. Well, let's talk about that because um, those uh, listeners who watch America's Newsroom and The Five uh, know that Afghanistan, our pullout and the debacle um, ha- has made me quite upset uh, if I'm, I don't know. I, that's a gift of understatement right there. Um, you know, we cover uh, we cover the news and a lot of news is sad and upsetting and terrible. Um, I will say that the Afghanistan situation kept me up at night uh, for days and I was so upset by it. And then I heard your new song, which is called Blood on My Hands. And I thought, oh my gosh, John, you captured what I was feeling and what I think a lot of Americans were feeling at the time. So tell me about how the song came to be and a little bit about how you made the decision about releasing it, because I think that was quite courageous and smart and brave. Well, thanks. Again, I, you know, I think with most of my songs, you know, Superman, 100 Years, they're literally just kind of expressing what I'm feeling. And it just so happens that other people feel the same. Um, and I think blood on my hands is the, the same scenario. I, I had no intention of writing this song, Dana. I took no pleasure in writing it. And frankly, for the first time in my life, I took no pleasure in releasing a song mm. like this. Um, but, uh, you know, when we first saw the images coming out, uh, you know, the, the, the soccer player falling from the plane and the mothers throwing their babies over walls. It kind of reminded me of 9-11, just these horrible images that we can't imagine happening. And I still had no intention of writing a song, but when our 13 troops were killed, I was so angry. And of course, the 100 Afghans, um, because I felt that was preventable. So I went up to my room like angry people do, and some people punch a punching bag, some people go for a run, I bang on my piano so my fingers bleed. And I had a few chords, but I really, again, I wasn't even thinking about writing a protest song, but I went to uh, Mammoth with my, my family after our last troops left. And I got a call from a friend and I hadn't talked to her in a long time. And this person is 
frankly, the most amazing person I met. She, she spends most of her time doing humanitarian missions around the world, putting herself at risk and uh, saving those who, uh, frankly, have little hope. And she said, hey, I need a contact. And I said, well, sure, uh, what's happening? And she said, I'm, I'm organizing evacs of AMSITs from Afghanistan. And me being, you know, the singer guy, I'm like, what's an AMSIT? And she said, American citizen. And there was silence on the line, Dana. And I finally said, are you telling me you're risking your life and your colleagues' lives to go rescue Americans that we left behind? And she started choking up. And that night I wrote a few more lines. And then the song really finished itself when President Biden gave his extraordinary success speech. And I think all of us were confused, <laughs> insulted. But, you know, I actually had some hope at the time because I've always had great respect for our military. Uh, as I said, it's been my life's passion. And I was expecting General Milley and General Austin to come out and clarify that, uh, that maybe it wasn't the greatest extraordinary success. Maybe we should not have abandoned Bagram. Maybe we should extend the deadline. But they didn't do that. They echoed the same, what a great airlift narrative. And Dana, that scared me. It scared me because I realized right then it was not a humanitarian mission. It was not a political, it was not a uh, military mission. It was a political exercise. And those lines about Millie Austin and Blinken, those wrote themselves. And then I, I love recorded those it. lines. Like, I just want to read them for people here. Yeah. Uh, Winken Blinken, can't you look me in the eyes? Oh, I just I really hope that he has been able to have a chance to listen to this. Um, and Willie Millie, tell me, when did you decide this will defend your sacred motto now means never mind? And the way you say that to me is with such anguish. Of course. You know, I remember Blinken standing there saying, uh, well, no, none of our allies are mad when Parliament the night before was condemning uh, our withdrawal, leaving their citizens there. So he was really a deer in the headlights. And, it, you know, I. I hate to say it, it kind of reminded me of Baghdad Bob. Um, and then General Milley, again, uh, you know, the, the army motto, the army motto, his branch's motto is this will defend. We will defend you. And I assumed that that applies to American citizens and our Afghan allies that fought beside our troops, sometimes saving their lives. So, yes, it is um, it is a disgrace. And I can't believe there's been no accountability for it. The other line that um, mentions one of the generals is, General Austin, is there no honor in shame? Can you spell Bagram without the letters in blame? Did Uncle Joe stick a drip in your veins? That Those lines, um, that particular part of the song uh, about Bagram and blame, that plays in my mind a lot um, ever since I heard the song. And looking back, I think that the commander-in-chief made decisions that put them in a position of having to decide what to do. And I, I agree in terms of like there is that it was it was shameful. Uh, we left in the middle of the night and then we tried to blame the Afghan forces by saying, oh, well, you didn't fight. Well, maybe they never would have. But like basically we put them in this position um, where we left them high and dry. We left them with no air support. Everybody, a third grader playing risk could say, don't abandon Bagram. Don't abandon air support. Everybody knows that. And again, I understand that it is the president's decision. But to me, if you are honorable and you recommend keeping troops there, you recommend not abandoning Bagram, and the president goes against your advice, 
What do you do? What did everybody do during the Trump administration, all the generals who are unhappy with his policies? You resign. You do not come out and say, what a great airlift and parrot that narrative. I really believe that is why the troops I talk to after every show, some that can't even speak, they are so angry because they believe Millie and Austin have dishonored the uniform. But even more than that, they are ashamed that that their allies, that they fought with them, that we promised to protect, were left behind to be murdered by the Taliban. Mm. I hate saying that. Some of them can't even speak to I was in Annapolis and I came off stage after singing Blood of My Hands. And some Afghan vets, these tough dudes that you would want to mess with, mm-hmm. they're coming up to me. There's tears in their eyes. They try to speak. We just hug. We cry. And, you know, my mission started on this to basically remind people that America's promise matters and ask for accountability. But it's really expanded to make sure that every veteran knows that they're not alone in this. And, you know, Superman kind of spoke for a lot of people that were in pain. It's not easy to be me, right? Well, I think this one's similar in that our vets need to know, just like what you're doing, what Fox News is doing, a few other people are doing, that they're not alone in this, that people feel their pain, and there will be accountability. It may not be under this administration, but history will judge. I agree. What do you think people listening might be able to do to help the veterans that are having a hard time right now? You know, I think uh, proceeds of, of this song are going to the Gary Sinise Foundation. There's so many great mental wellness. But I think I know a lot of people are frustrated. They're, what can I do? Um, you know, the, let's, let me give you a little good news. Um, the American promise is not dead. There are special force veterans who have drained their bank accounts. They've quit their jobs. They're down there right now performing heroic evacuations Um, of their fellow allies. And these stories are going to come out and we're going to tell them. I know you're going to tell them. So, you know, I wouldn't say send money to the NGOs. They have plenty of money. I would say, don't forget, don't let the media intimidate you. Don't worry about cancel culture. Stand up. We all have a voice. We know America has a great tradition of when our government lets us down, that the American people stand up and do the right thing. Heroes are doing that in Iraq. So I would just say support the troops support um, the voices that are keeping Afghanistan on the front foot and use your platform. Talk to your friends. You know, if you if you know a veteran, give them a call. Tell them that you love them. Um, call your senators. You know, call. There, there are people in Congress that get it on both sides. So just don't be afraid to be quiet. I think I think uh, and it's sadly, Dana, I think, you know, this song probably will be more relevant six months from now, a year from now, because things are certainly not going to get better. We'll be right back with more of this interview right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I want to just switch gears for a second. One of the things we do on this program is talk about how everything will be okay, meaning um, you can't plan your whole life out. You have to trust. You just have to work hard and and believe that things will um, work itself out. Uh, You also are a businessman. And what are some of the things that you are seeing in terms of what we're going through uh, with the economy, um, our inability to find enough workers to fill the jobs that we have, uh, the supply chain issues. I mean, just how much 
is that weighing on the business that you have? It's, it's like nothing I've seen before. Yeah, we have a small uh, manufacturing business out here in California with about 300 employees. And we've been really struggling like everyone else, not only uh, getting employees, but retaining them. Um, we've had to cut back some of our capacity because uh, like everybody else, we can't get workers. And of course, people have to move to automation. But out here in California, they'll punish you for automating and trying to survive. You know, I was just on the road for three weeks in seven different states. And I can't uh, think of a store or a restaurant or business I, I walked by or drove by that didn't have a help wanted sign out. Yeah. So it's yeah. a huge problem. And, and I, remember I, when President Biden whispered into the microphone that the key for employers of finding more workers is to pay them more. <laughs> and a lot of, <laughs> yeah. We talk to businesses all the time and they have raised their wages and they still can't get people to either even to apply or Maybe they'll take the job, they'll work for a week, but then decide it's not for them, and then they disappear. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the, the new generation, they don't want to work hard. Um, and uh, that's not just a, you know, that's not a judgment. It's just a fact. They, they don't want to work overtime, and uh, they would rather do other things. And that's fine, but it's just a reality for businesses. And yeah, and it's not just a matter of money. Um, it's, uh, it's a, and I don't see it any better. Of course, you know, we're talking today uh, when a horrible jobs report came out. So, yeah, it be, and, and add to that all the burden uh, kind of uh, administration and red tape and taxes for, for manufacturing. I really worry about the small business, especially the fa family business. It's almost being legislated out of existence. Yeah. Um, I, I find that younger people are very much wanting to have a better work-life balance than what they saw their parents have. And you know, I felt like I had quite a balance. I worked at home and I worked at work. <laughs> I was perfectly balanced. All I did was work. And, you know, I I take their point and I wonder how you deal with balance because, I mean, gosh, you, you have this incredible music career. Uh, you have the business and you have your family and your friends and all the work that you do charitably um, with veterans and others. How do you d define work-life balance for yourself? Well, maybe you could help me with that because I think the only person that's more busy than me is you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't, you know, I'm lucky now that my kids are uh, in college. Um, so, you know, we don't have the little ones anymore. It was certainly harder when I had the younger ones and, and, and I was much more daddying than I am now. Um, but, you you know, it's hard. You set priorities. You realize that you can't be everything for everybody. I think that really was a message of Superman is that we can't be Superman for everyone. Um, we're just human. We do the best we can. I do think with this song and, and what's surrounding the song, and it's inspired me to do more music because I see how it's resonating. I see how it's making a difference. And my dad, I think, is is really, you know, he would rather have me writing songs than building shopping carts. Mm. Um, but, um, but also they also help balance each other. Right. If, if I was just doing music all the time, that would probably be, you know, a little too much. And it, it's a great, it's great going into the real world. You know, the, the entertainment industry, as you know, is so fickle and shallow. Well, I think your you go, work in the, in terms of the business does inform your writing and your singing, I think. I, I oh, don't want to put words in your mouth, but I no. mean, if you're if you're in, if you're only living in a bubble, you can get the kind of music that comes out of <laughs> you know, places like that, um, or you could get yours, which is deeper and with meaning. I, I I think my experience working at a family business where you have people 
that show up, it's, you know, 18 years old, half uh, can't speak the language, work for minimum wage. And then 30 years later, they're still there and their kids are graduating from Stanford and, and they're living a middle-class life. I see the American dream every day. So I think a lot of these artists who maybe have been corrupted by the tribal group think of America's horrible, what a terrible place. I see what America is. I see it every day on the ground. And I think that gives me a certain gratitude and perspective few of them have. I'm excited to see, and I and I hope to be able to help some of the special immigrant visas, the uh, men and women who helped of Afghanistan, who helped our troops, um, if and when they can get to America, I'm excited to see what they might be able to do because my last question to you is, do you remain optimistic about the American dream? I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I see, you know, I, I, I wake up and, I, and, I, and, and I'm in this weird position of helping coordinate evacuations of our citizens and allies. And I ask myself, how the hell is some singer guy, you know, in this position you know, helping rescue our allies that our government left behind. And it's actually throwing red tape in front of. But then I look at these heroes that are that are fulfilling the American promise. I see the eyes. You know, when I play this song every night, I talk about a moral lesson. It's not a political song. I talk about this is a moral message and we have to get out of our tribalism and the fact that if uh, if Donald Trump was president, I would write this exact same song. The names would change. But of course, I'd be the toast of the town to the other side of the aisle. That is dangerous. We have to look at things through a moral lens. And it happens on the right. You know, Donald Trump's uh, landslide victory. That is dangerous too. It's just like extraordinary success. And, and when I watch the audience and they listen, and then I play the song, nobody leaves. Nobody throws tomatoes. They listen. And I think for me, that lesson is, you know what? I do have hope because I think if people listen, we all in our gut, I think, want the best for this country. But I think people have to stand up and there has to be accountability. And that goes for our members in Congress, too. I thought so that was my last question, but then I just have one more. Um, as I've gotten a little bit older and also now I'm at a place where I do have enough career variety um, that I don't worry about what's next for me. Yeah. I believe that it'll all work out. And that's you know, but I've worked really hard to get to that point where I don't have to worry as much. And. I, I, I'm not thinking too much too far ahead, um, but do you have ideas or thoughts on what what might be next for you? Where do you go from here? That's an interesting question. I think you're right. I think, you know, just expand a little bit on that. I, I am blessed to be in a position where I have some security. Mm -hmm. And if I write a song and people cancel me or, you know, they don't want to come to my shows, you know, I'll survive. And we're both in a position, I think, where we feel comfortable saying some things that maybe other folks that believe what we say won't say or can't say because they have a mortgage to pay they have young children and i'm hoping this song will you know just like you i thought you were such a class act you know the last four years giving people to voice maybe what's not the most popular opinion so i hope that you know that continues i you know i think i'm gonna i'm hoping to organize a non-political effort called uh americans for afghanistan and Joni Ernst is already kind of signed on. Tulsi Gabbard signed on. Uh, we're looking for more Democrats to really kind of keep the focus on Afghanistan, to celebrate uh, the folks who are rescuing people from Afghanistan, to, mm -hmm. to think of the women and children. So that's kind of uh, I'm having some more calls with some folks on the Hill next week 
So I really want to turn this into more of a American non-political mission uh, to really do what we should do is, is keep our promise the best we can. And and if songs come uh, through that process or other things pop up, um, I'm, I'll certainly write them down and hopefully, uh, you know, folks will uh, listen to them. I'll tell you what, I'm glad to have a new best friend. Uh, it's oh. been a joy to get to know you over the past week or so. And now um, I'm excited for all of our listeners to learn more about you and to be inspired by you. So, John, thank you so much. Well, you inspire me, Dana. Thanks for everything. John is somebody using his voice to express himself and to inspire all of us. And I appreciate the chance to get to talk to him and to call him a friend. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.